Hi, I'm your host, Tom DeSavia. Join me as I interview guests from music and entertainment from around the world about what they're up to right now. Stay tuned, because we're gone in 30 minutes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Gone in 30 Minutes. Today, our very, very special guest is one of personally my favorite singers and favorite songwriters of all time, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the great Mr. William Bell. Mr. Bell, welcome. How are you? I'm great. I'm better now. Say again? I said I'm better now. Oh, <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> we're, in good we, we're in good shape then. Well, what, where are you right now? What are you up to? I am uh, in Atlanta in my studio right now, working on editing uh, some video footage and stuff that we did for the National Endowment of the Arts. A couple of songs of, of mine, and uh, so we had to uh, do some editing on it because they're going to put it into uh, a presentation that they've got. So uh, we're working on that now. Can I ask what songs you did? Yeah, of course. Uh, you don't miss your water, and this is where I live. <laughs> two, two of my all-time favorites, and this is where I live. I'd like to jump in a bit. I, I mean, masterfully produced by the great John Leventhal, who I know he I, certainly a, a student of Stax, as he proved himself with that record, but also a Grammy win for you. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, thanks to. My good friend, uh, John Leventhal, we uh, worked on it for a year. And thanks to Concord Stax, uh, it was 40 years since I had been with the Stax organization. And uh, I was the first uh, single male act that they signed back in the day, back in actually 60. And then the record came out uh, in 61. But um, it was just... Uh, wonderful to be able to receive my first Grammy after getting back with the uh, Concord Stacks organization. So uh, everything worked out. I, I was I was not aware you were the first solo male act signed to Stacks. Yeah, they had uh, 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 an instrumental group uh, that they had last night with, and then they had Rufus and Carla as a duo. Right. As a single male artist, I was the first one. Can I can I ask how that came about? How you wound up with that? Yeah. Um, it's a long story, but I'll make it short. Um, mm -hmm. We had a doo-wop group called the Del Rios that mm -hmm. sang around Memphis and out of town and different things. And uh, Stax and Chips Mormon were aware of that. So they needed a group to do backup work behind Carla Thomas's G Whiz. Okay. And uh, of course, uh, we were picked to do that. They had put a group on there, and I think uh, they were singing, as we say in the business, flat or out of tune. So they called us to do it, and we did it. And of course, they liked what we were doing and signed us on and did about three. Uh, 45s on us as the Del Rios. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of my guys were drafted into the military. So they signed me on as a single artist. And how old were you at this point? I had just turned when they first signed me, I had just turned 18. Wow. And of course, uh, I went on the road and I hadn't cut anything as a single artist with them. 
And uh, so when I came back off of the road, I had written a couple of songs, You Don't Miss Your Water being one of them. And uh, Chip said, are you ready to cut and everything? And I said, yes. So, so we went in and cut You Don't Miss Your Water. And of course, uh, that was the first major hit for Stax Records there. Was that, the, that, that song was written while you were in New York? It, yeah, I feeling homesick uh, in a hotel room there at the actually at the Sheraton there on Seventh Avenue and uh, Sunday we had a day off and it was raining and storming outside and uh, that idea came to my head so I wrote it down and jotted the lyrics down and just kept it in the back of my head until I got back to Memphis. I didn't think actually that uh, I would uh, record it that soon, but uh, they wanted to get something out on me. Did you um, did you consider yourself at that point a songwriter? Yeah, you know, I was always one of these strange kids that uh, I was an only child until I was about 10. Mm -hmm. And so I was a loner and uh, Writing poems and stuff like that was kind of an outlet for me. Uh, and that's what I did a lot of. And then singing in church, you know, I started uh, and then started singing with the uh, Finnish Newborn Orchestra on the weekends. I got into uh, learning a little bit of chord structure on the keyboards from different musicians and stuff. So I uh, started setting my lyrics to music. I didn't, you know, at, at first I really didn't know if I was going to go into uh, the actual music business. Uh, I knew I loved it, but I, my mom and family people wanted me to become the first doctor in the family. So uh, all of my studies in school and everything went toward that chemistry and all the other things. But um, I got that bug in me about the music and uh Performing it at the Flamingo Room and was just a joy for me on the weekend. And uh, they had so many iconic uh, Hank Crawford and uh, Charles Lloyd, Flathead Newman, all those guys that went on to become jazz uh, aficionados. They they were in Old Man Phineas's band in their 20s during that time. And I'm just a 14-year-old kid. And they just kind of took me under their wings. Phineas Jr. would sit me down at the keyboard and uh, teach me chord structure, how to sing half tones and stuff like that. And I was going to university. I didn't know it <laughs> at that time. And uh, being taught by some of the greatest musicians that went on to become really great themselves. It was just a joy uh, to, to be doing that. And I, I really got the bug on that. And uh, when I, you mentioned New Orleans, when I cut You Don't Miss Your Water, the first city that it went number one in besides Memphis, Memphis was playing it, but I'm a local kid there. The first city was New Orleans. They had it and it was number one there. So I, for a weekend, I went down to New Orleans and performed uh, in between uh, other other duties and everything, yeah. Was that the was that the moment when that song came out that you went, oh wait, this maybe I, maybe I'm not going to be a doctor. 
Did you break it? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, I didn't really know because we had cut one record with the, uh, the Harry brothers on media mm -hmm. records and it really didn't hit nationally or anything. So we just got a lot of uh, shows with the college circuit and back and forth around Memphis. So I didn't really know if uh, that was my thing to be in the music business, but I knew I loved it. I just uh, had an inkling to try it to uh, the chagrin of my mom because <laughs> she was aware of all of this and being the staunch gospel singer and, and all that, she just uh, actually told me uh, that uh, I was going to be like all of the other blues singers that uh, wound up having to take up collections to bury me. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my mom. She was blatantly honest. Plus, was, was there comfort knowing that there were people like Judy Clay that also came out of the church that were, sorry, I mean, so much came out of the church. Oh, all of my favorite singers were in church. Sam Cooke was one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Soul Stirs and the Highway QCs, all those gospel groups. And uh, I love the harmonies and, and how Sam would ad-lib and all that stuff. And I got to see them when they were in Memphis for a week once. Uh, they had some car problems and had to lay over in Memphis and sang at a couple of the churches. So I got to see them. And that was another thing that just kind of solidified my interest in becoming a, a blues singer or a secular singer or something. The thing was, my mom didn't necessarily care for it. So... Phineas almost begged her to let me sing on the weekends. And uh, since I was going to go to college, that was a way, an easy way for a young kid to make some money and, and store some money away for college right. and everything. So, But I was always a loner kid and uh, kind of strange. I listened to everything, all kinds of music. I listened to jazz. I listened to blues. I listened to country. Right. Because we did a lot of country uh, backup singing on a lot of demos for a lot of country acts. Well, you, you touched on something a second ago I'd love to to talk about, um, which was just the support you had as a kid from from the elders and the, the, the people who were taking care of you and ushering you through this world. Um, our mutual friend, Michelle Smith, who I'm very thankful for hooking us up together and making this happen, uh, introduced me to the Stax Music Academy. That That's my pet project there. It's like I'm the proud uncle or grandfather, so to speak, with these kids. Um, I've been working with them from day one and because they remind me of me when I was uh, 12, 13, 14, and uh, these older musicians around Memphis, including B.B. and Bobby Bland, took me under their wings. I was part of a, a group called the Teen Town Singers with Marvell Thomas, Carla Thomas, and Rufus's kids and everything. And uh, we uh, just all grew up together in the same neighborhood. Isaac was uh, in a different neighborhood, but we all still knew each other. And uh, it uh, these Stax kids remind me of that. They're neighborhood kids and uh, they have so much talent. And uh, this is a way to get them to realize that dream. And uh, and we'd like to pass that torch on to them. And uh, they've done just wonders and 
we've got the not only the museum but the charter school and the Stacks Academy, and it's the number one uh, charter school in Tennessee right now. We uh, have sent so many kids to Berkeley and with scholarships and everything. So that's my my heart right now. So I'm. I'm I'm very proud of them. Used them in a couple of movie things that we did with the uh, uh, "Take Me to the River." Right. All of that, yeah, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. It's such it's such a wonderful program, and I've gotten to peek into it, as I said, via Michelle. At any time, uh, it's a wonderful thing. But I think right now, especially if we could, this this is going to air soon. That we're you know in the middle of a lockdown, that yeah. our communication with each other is is uh stunted and i I meant i I, sort of a two-part thing i'd like to talk to you about is one um are you how is your creative process during this time well i'm i'm forcing myself to (laughs) to do it um i i love doing it but with you know you bombarded so much during the hours of the day and night with uh covid situation with the the political situation and all that. And it, it's kind of hard to get into that arena of being creative. A lot of times I don't listen to uh, TV for a week at a time. And then I listen to a lot of music and I've got a man cave at my house that I <laughs> have <laughs> laid out to where I can just go down there and shut the door and be just in isolation and and be creative. So I've done a lot of writing. We cut three or four songs already that uh, I feel very good about. Two or three things that I did that uh, Larry Campbell cut one of the songs that he and I did. So we send files back and forth. And uh, so I'm, I'm being as creative as I can under the circumstances. So is there, is there, can I get you to commit on video in front of the world that there's a new album coming our way? Yeah, I think eventually there will be a new album coming. Out. I'm, I, I want to get all of the stuff written and uh, so that I can sit back and really assess what I've done and uh, really pick out. I'll probably have uh, 30 or 40 songs written <laughs> during the course of it. And uh, just pick out uh, 12 or 14 of the best ones. Yeah. And uh, that's what I like to do because I I don't like to just say I'm going to have these 10 songs and that's what I've got to work with. No, let me do them. And when my ears cool off and uh, maybe a month later or something, I'll sit down quietly and do put them under the microscope, so to speak, and do an assessment of it. Has that been your process pretty much through your career? Yeah, that's been my process yeah. during my entire career. That's do, do, have there ever been songs that you considered tossing away? That oh, quite a few, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> quite a few, and um, not only uh, uh, just rewrite, you know, and I'll keep the original idea and the concept, but just totally rewrite it. And then I'll put it away and then I'll come back and listen to both versions, the original version that I, when I started concept, and then the one that I just rewrote and see which one grabs me. I Because I like to be totally honest about my writing. 
I feel like uh, if I like something, fine, but then I want to bounce it off two or three other people. And thank goodness I've got a place here in the studio that I can have some of my people listen to it. And I tell them to be brutally honest with me. No yes or no, unless they really love it. And then because I'm going to ask them the next question is, what about it that you love? You know, yeah. what grabs you in that first verse or that first chorus? And do, do you ever do you ever know with uh, you're, you're obviously one of the more humble gentlemen walking the planet. But has there ever been a moment when you've written something you went like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, now, do you know right away or are you sort of riddled by a self-doubt with it? Sometimes that happens. Um, and when it does, it's usually a strange time when I write sometimes when I'm driving. Well, not now, but I used to drive back and forth to Memphis a lot. And I love to do that because I can concentrate and just think of things and I'll keep a little, uh, I've got a little four track uh, uh, digital microphone by me and, and recorder by me. I'll just put it on and, and, and bounce some ideas around. Um, I like to do that. And sometimes I come up with an idea and it just grabs you and you say, that is a hit record. If it's performed and done right, it's a hit record. And a lot of times that'll come during my sleep. <laughs> I keep that by my bed also. And uh, cause I wake up with the whole idea of the song just going through my head. And so I try to capture that initial idea and then maybe I'll change it later on or change a verse here and there. But I try to capture that initial original idea because I think at that time and as far as creativity that's the best time to capture it when it's flowing and coming to you hmm. has it, it, it is good you said uh, driving to memphis in normal times when we can are you still back and forth to memphis a lot so i like to go back and forth memphis is i'm like uh torn between two cities you know it's like they've accepted me as uh, uh the son that's adopted in atlanta but I'm still, Memphis is still home. Yeah. So uh, I like going back and forth to Memphis and I get to see the Stax kids. I go by Stax all the time and uh, see how that's going on and uh, uh, get to visit family and friends. And But um, I'm hoping that'll come back soon so that I can get back. I was talking to Boo Mitchell uh, a couple of days ago and he said, can't wait to get back into the studio with me to start because we, we worked in his studio sometimes yeah. over at Royal. So it's just uh, been kind of hard not being able to hook up with people like that, except through sending files back and forth, you know? And this is so, this is one part I love about doing this show because I deal with songwriters all day and everybody is going through a struggle and, and it mostly revolves around not seeing their creative inspirations, their, the people they collaborate with. But I also wanted to hit on something you said earlier, because I think it's important for people to know it's 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 very easy to feel hopeless and confused right now. Like I said, especially if you turn on the TV, especially yeah. if you're you know you, you can't escape it. But having literally lived through what I look at as one of the most harrowing years in our our history in 1968, and being a part of 
the music that helped people heal from it. And things were horrible not to relive that time. It was an awful time. What advice do you give to writers now who are maybe feeling helpless and and confused and scared? Music is like that common denominator that gets people through the day and and bring people together. And usually in the 60s, we wrote about the struggles, the hard times and, and stuff like that. And it got people through it. And so I'm hoping that being a creative person, that the writers and everything would uh, take that under consideration and, and because music is our life and uh, we have a platform that we influence a lot of people in our thinking and our creativity and all of that. It's an important thing that you have there that you can help people in a time of struggles. Right. And when you have that, that's a responsibility on you. And uh, I'm hoping that we will write in that sense that we can let people know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There always is. As long as there is life, there's hope. That's what I'm writing about now. One of the songs on there is like the human touch because you didn't realize that that meant so much, not even in a loving sense, but just to touch another human being uh, is important. And since COVID, we're kind of isolated from doing that. We do the fist bump, and, but that's not like a good hug. And being a, a, a people person, you know, I, we hug and you high five and all of that. But now we're kind of distancing and with the mask and all of that. But you write about that, that too shall pass. There are a couple of other songs that I'm writing about these times that we're going through now. Uh, and one is a little bit more or less political. And I usually don't write about a lot of political stuff, but mm -hmm. this one I just felt an obligation to write about. So I'm writing about that, writing about some history of how people survive and prosper and, and come together in times of struggle. So, uh, and, and I'm hoping that that will not only for this generation, for our generation and next generation to come, that will be something that people can listen to uh, on whatever platform we're listening to stuff on then and can uh, get some relief from all of the things. All people need sometimes, even like back in the 60s when we could come together, but to go to a concert, it was like four hours of escapism. Right. And as entertainers, you took them from one gambit to the next from uh, just being overjoyed to where they want to dance in the aisles to a, a song that uh, would create a thinking process for people. And uh, that comes from that church experience. You know, that's what church gives you on, on the Sundays or Saturdays or whatever denomination you are. And uh, it gives you that release point that where you can look at things in a positive, with a positive attitude and and uh, then get away from all of the uh, 
stresses of the or everyday life and living. So uh, that's what I'm hoping to instill in people in some of the songs I'm writing now. Well, I, we need your voice and your words now more than ever, Mr. Bell. That's for certain. And I will say, because I think it's 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 fascinating. Because with songwriters I work with, I never want to know what the song's about because I've made up my own movie in my head usually, and it's better that way. I don't know, you know, if I find out, it's a, it, it'll, I'll forever associate it. But it's it's great. A, a song like you know, Mr. Water, which is mine and many's favorite song of all time. One of the songs that can truly make bring me to tears. But from the first note, but it's it's amazing how that song specifically, which I didn't know was written about a young a young man in New York missing his home. You sort of assume it was about a relationship. It was about a lost love. And and now in this time, I mean, it means so much to so many writers. And I've had writers reference that song so many times just in that line about not being able to be on the road and not realizing how much they love that life or how much they love that the touching, the the experience, and, and to have that song be a theme all the way through with life and to take on different meanings, I think, is the style. Well, one of the greats. You know, you know, when you write honestly and you realize the situation, you write honestly about it, people can relate to it, and I feel like we all uh, have the front, same frustration, desires, wishes, and everything, that's that human factor. And you write honestly about it and people can relate to it. Uh, and it in, does incorporate all of the things about the lost love, the the idea of being on the road and missing a loved one or, or just trying to survive and get back to a loved one, you know. Uh, and then if you look at it in a, another sense, it can um, talk about just things, material things that you don't mm -hmm. miss it until you don't no longer have it, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and you have to write it in such a way that everybody can understand it and 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 not have to necessarily wonder about it, but they can relate to it and 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 apply that to their lives. Amen. All right, we're at the lightning round. I don't want you to think. I want you to just come back straight answer. Ready? Favorite singer of all time? Sam Cooke. Favorite songwriter of all time? I got to think about that. <laughs> that is a hard one. Because yeah. there are so many iconic songs that I've listened to throughout the years. Uh, of course, Sam would be one, but then you've got the people like the Bob Dylans and the Lionel Richies, and, and then there are a lot of ladies that, that just write the hard tugging songs. So there's so many uh, good writers out there, country writers to me. <laughs> I've listened to country my whole life. Uh, but that's one good thing about growing up in Memphis. On the radio, you heard everything. In the course of a day, you heard gospel, country, jazz, uh, uh, what they call rockabilly, and, you know, the Elvis things. And and it all kind of blended in, and, and if you were exposed to it, music is music, uh, but a, a good country song to me, and they've had, uh, God, Willie Nelson, uh, you name it, uh, Jim Reeves, and I'm counting old school things. Yeah. Then you've got some good 
modern country guys that are writing just some great lyrics and takeoffs on, on things. And I love uh, a good lyric and a good melodic structure. And uh, if I cover a tune, usually it's because of that, it, it, that I can relate to it both from my life, but it, it, it has a good, just a hard wrenching lyric to it. But uh, it's it's hard to pick just one writer for me. That is that is fair enough, and as such, I'm going to spare you from the rest that would give you as equally as stressful. <laughs> but Mr. Bell, please bring us more music soon. We need it. Thank you so much for taking the time. It has been a great honor, and you've just made this has been the best part of my year. Just getting to sit and talk to you, I really appreciate it. Thank you, and I remember uh, before we go. You still got your tattoo on this. I still do. Oh, uh, there yeah. we go. Yes. Man, yeah. <laughs> Very quickly for our readers, I was uh, nominated for a Grammy along with a co-author, my friend John Doe, um, for a book, an audio book. And uh, we, had, we had swiftly lost our first nomination. And I found out very quickly the only thing that could get you out of the funk of, winning, of losing a Grammy is someone coming up to you and saying, hey, would you like to meet Mr. William Bell? <laughs> so we have what we have a photo of it it will it, it forever it forever made that night one of the best nights of my life well so, thank you uh for all of that and uh thanks for having me on and uh and uh, all of support and everything because you know uh i'd like to leave this in the minds of young people you know we most of young people when they come out they think of the spotlight on stage and all of that but the behind the scene things are the important things that are happening in the music business and there are a lot of people that elevate the so-called so-called stars mm -hmm. uh, to their positions in the music industry and i want all the young people to know that uh, the managers and the agents and the, the other writers and and people within the label systems and all of that and the fans, that's who the stars, that who makes, that's the ones that make the stars. And uh, I don't want young people to forget that, you know, because it's easy to do it when somebody's telling you all the time how great you are and all of that. <laughs> there is a whole slew of people behind you that uh, keeps you in that spotlight. Uh, and and we couldn't do a thing without the song. So it's the chicken or the egg, but <laughs> I agree with you. Um, I, I, my hardest goodbye to our audience ever, but that's it. We're gone in 30 minutes, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This show was presented by Craft Recordings. Thanks for joining us for Gone in 30 Minutes, produced by Laura Saez. I'm your host, Tom, and we'll catch you next time.